So, okay, I'll, I'll mention it. Um, cutting through a shul is not allowed. It's, it's called, a, it's making a, 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 pan, a kapanjia. The Shulchan Aruch brings down, you're not allowed to make the cut through through a shul. Now, if the cut through existed maybe before, I'm sure the shul's been around since 1988. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long time. These people haven't uh, been in the shul before that. So you're not allowed to. So people think, oh, if you say a pasuk, then it's allowed. Or if you say a halacha, then it's allowed. It's not true. It's a misunderstanding. What it's based on is the Shulchan Aruch brings down, you're not allowed to make a cut through. It says, Asr, B'Shom Oifin, B'Chol It's not allowed. Then the Shulchan Aruch brings down going into a shul to get out of the rain. You want to go into the shul because you need the bathroom or you want to get out of the rain or you want to call somebody. So you're entering a shul not for the purpose of davening. Not to make it a cut through. Just stop you. Enter the shul because... So the Shulchan Aruch brings down, in such a situation, the Shabura says, if you say a, a kapitel tehillim, or if you say a pasuk, okay, then it's not so terrible. But the Pais can make it, sound, make, make it very clearly that that's only true because you're not disrespecting the shul. You're entering the shul not for the right intention. But if you say tehillim, or if you say a halacha, if you say a mishnah, okay. But to make the shul a cut through is considered a bizayon. You're treating the shul as if you're just making it that I have no interest in coming in bechalal, I just want to make save time. You're treating it disrespectfully. Treating it disrespectfully, there's no heter. Okay, that was a... Uh, let's go to the first one. So I, I wrote down eight of the Shilas. Um, the first Shilas, I wanted to clarify something. And and that is... Um, this is a topic that I wanted to clarify. When I was raised, when I was younger, I was always raised that if you wanted to heat up food on Shabbos, let's say kugel. You take kugel out of the fridge... So it used to be they would have what's called a blech. It's actually important to understand the terminology because people misunderstand it. The blech was you had a fire. You put a piece of metal on the fire. Okay? So you covered the fire. Now the reason why you covered the fire is because in general you are never allowed to put food directly onto a heat source on Shabbos because we're afraid you might come to stoke the coals. So if you cover it, that'll remind you, hey, not to do that. So when I was younger, I was always raised that if you have a blech, so you have the piece of metal on top of the fire, and you want to put potato kugel from the fridge, you have to take a pan and invert it. Okay. Now, that's true. Now, what's the reason for that? That's uh, uh, an indication from the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says such a thing in Sifhei. If you want to heat up food, you put it on top of another pot. So you're not putting it so there's the heat, there's the blech, there's a pot of food or inverted pan, and then you put the food on top. What's the reason? The reason is very simple. That is called michzi kimavashel. It looks like you're cooking, meaning to put the food directly on the blech, it's a bad optic. It looks like you're cooking. It, it, to the average, they don't know why you're taking kugel out of the fridge. Just like, look, you're taking something out of the fridge and putting it on the fire. It's a very bad optic. That's called michzi kimavashel. Ravad Yosef and Tzitzliezer, they write that nowadays they made a plata. Okay, a plata chashmalis is it's made by a Jewish company, and what they did was they made it in such a way to avoid halachic problems. So, they made it you don't have to cover, right? You don't have to cover why? Because the whole purpose of covering is you might come to stoke the coals, you might come to adjust the heat. A plata doesn't have adjustments; it's just on and off. There's no there's no multiple settings. There's no low, medium, high. If there is a low, medium, high, like it's a hot plate and it has one of those, you would have to cover it with silver foil. You'd have to cover the heat source like you would a blech. The plata that you buy in the Svarim stores in Gift World, it's made specifically to be on and off. There's no multiple levels to avoid the concern of heating up. Then the question is, okay, so you don't have to put a cover. Do you have to put an inverted pan? Ravad Yosef and Sicily as say no. Why? Because they said the whole reason why you put an inverted pan is because it looks like you're cooking. 
this item is made for warming only. It's, it's made for that. That's why it's made. Therefore, it doesn't look like you're cooking because everyone knows platas are meant for cooking. They're not hot plates that get incredibly hot that are meant for cooking. They're made for warming. So because they're made for warming, there's no concern of mechzikim avashim. I just wanted to clarify that point. That's why if you do go to someone's house and they do have a plata and they don't put the inverted pan, they just take the food out of the fridge. Now again, the food cannot be liquid because that's a side problem. That's cooking the liquid. I'm not talking about that. And how liquidy is a machlokas between the Sfarad and Ashkenazim, Ravad Yosef and the, the Balatanya, that's not for now. You have a, pl- a kugel, cold kugel from the fridge, and you're putting it onto a plata. If someone wants to put an inverted pan, beautiful. I'm not. It's, you want to be machmer, great. If you're if you're lenient, you have what to rely on, and you're not being mezalzel in the shulchan aruch. It's because you're relying on the fact that it's meant for warming. It doesn't look. It's not a bad optic. It's meant for warming, and therefore there's no concern of mechzi kimavash. I just wanted to clarify that first point. Okay. We're going to move right along. As always, I got, I got eight, so that was number one. Well, the first one was the cut through, but that was just, that was more on the spring on the side. Number two is, it was raining pretty hard, was it two nights ago? Two nights ago, it was a couple nights ago. And someone asked me about the bracha of thunder and lightning. So I wanted to clarify two points about thunder and lightning, and that'll lead to a, a different discussion. First of all, the halacha is that when you make a bracha, the bracha on lightning is osa masabreshis, the bracha on thunder is shekocho gbrosa maliola. There's one very important halacha about these two brachos, and that is you are only able to make the bracha what's called toch kedei dibar, meaning how long do you have, right? Whenever you have a phenomenon, right, there's a certain length of time that you have to make the bracha, right? Like I'll give you an example. When you're drinking a cup of water, you can make the shahakal as long as you're drinking the water. The second you finish the cup, it's too late. There's an end point, right? I'll give an example. Ashayatza, the place can describe how long do you have to make an ashayatza. Let's say you went to the bathroom and you forgot. Can you still make an ashayatza? So Ravad Yosef brings down one opinion. This is a half hour. Other opinions are a little bit longer, a little bit less. Fine, okay. The question is, for thunder and lightning, here's the halacha. You have about three seconds. Toch kedei dibar. Toch dibar means the amount of time that it takes to say, Shalom Alecha Rav Yomari. How long was that? It was about three seconds. Two, two three seconds. That's it. So Yaakov Kamenetsky was once asked, what happens if someone is a Balshuva and he doesn't know the bracha? So he has to have it written down. He has to get a sitter. So if Yaakov said, then he's not making the bracha. You don't have time. You have about three seconds. Have the bracha on you or memorize the bracha because if you're taking the time to get a sitter, you will not be able to make it. That's a special halacha. Now, the beauty is you can make the bracha Obviously, uh, once every time you hear the thunder and lightning, you can only do it one per storm. But if you miss the first time and you hear thunder again, well, then you can do it a second at the second time you hear it. So if you get the sitter and you miss it, so hopefully it's a pretty strong storm. You'll hear the thunder and lightning again. You'll be able to make the bracha again. So that's the first halach I wanted to mention about thunder and lightning. That you have about a couple seconds. Secondly, and this is very negay. I remember this is years ago. I was in uh, I was in Bergenshul. I was I was in Bergenshul. I don't know. It was a Meiriv or something, and. We're in the middle of Myriv and a big strong thunderbolt. And so everyone kind of looks around, you're in the middle of Shema. Like, do you make the bracha? Do you not make the bracha? Like, what's the deal? And everyone's sort of looking at each other. And again, you don't have time to check it up because by the time you check it up, it's too late. So this is the halacha. The halacha is like this. During what's called, I mentioned this last time, I want to clarify. Davening is basically split into three parts. You have Shmonesser, which we know about. That's 
Shmonasr, okay. Amida, whatever. You have to put that aside. Then you have what's called Pesukah de Zimra. Pesukah de Zimra is from Baruch Shomar until Yishtabach. That's called Pesukah de Zimra. And then you have called Birchus Kriyashma. And Kriyashma, that's from after, after Yishtabach. If you're with a minion, Baruchu. Or without a minion, Baruch Hashem. Whenever you start those brachas, now you're in a uh, a situation called Birchas Kriyashma and Kriyashma. There are different halachas. Last week we spoke about what are you allowed to answer in the middle of Shmon Esrei. Each section of davening has its own details. Shmon Esrei has its own halachas, and even if you remember from last week, within Shmon Esrei you have the up to Oseshala, up to uh, uh, after. Uh, um, um, and then you have to, after the Yihirat zone, and then there's a whole, Shmonesha has its own details, then you have Birchas Kriyashma and Kriyashma have their own details of Halacha, and then you have Pesukah de Zimra. Pesukah de Zimra is a little more lenient, but you still can't talk, you still, you still, you know, you're not allowed to talk, but there's a little more leniency of what you can answer. But let's go with Birchas Kriyashma and Kriyashma. So you're in the middle of that period, and you hear thunder and lightning. So what's the Halacha? The Halacha is you're only allowed to answer, to make the brach of thunder and lightning if you're in between paragraphs. Meaning, if you're in the middle of the, the first paragraph of Shema, you're in the middle of Vahavta, and you hear thunder lightning, nope. But if you're in between Vahavta and Vahaya, if you're in between Vahavta and Vahaya, or in between Vahaya and Vayomer, or in between Vayatsiv and, and, and al Rishonim, uh, you understand, you're in between paragraphs, you're allowed to say the bracha. That's called Bein HaProkim. Now that's true for Birchas Kriyashma and Kriyashma. So if you're in the middle of a paragraph, you cannot make a bracha, but if you're in between, you can. What about Pesukah de Zimra? From Baruch Shamar to Yishtabach, the halacha is you're allowed to. Because it's a pressing time period, you don't have time to wait. And it is a mitzvah. It's not like you're talking you know, to say hello to someone, which would be obviously inappropriate. You're talking in order to bless Hashem. In the middle of Pesukah de Zimra, you are allowed to say the brach on thunder and lightning, even in the middle of a paragraph. You're in the middle of Ashrei, you hear thunder and lightning, you stop what you're doing, you say, and then you continue. That's the halacha about the brach of thunder and lightning during Pesukah de Zimra. Pesukah de Zimra is completely allowed. Be'erchus Kriyashma and Kriyashma, it has to be in between paragraphs. So now, let's talk about Pesukah de Zimra. I'm going to list, I have three... Three things, what you're allowed to do during Pesukah de Zimra. So I mentioned thunder and lightning is allowed. Let's add three more. First of all, Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo is allowed. Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo is whenever you have a bracha that you're not being, that someone is not being motze you, and they say Hashem's name, you say Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo, right? That's the, that's the halach, you're supposed to say Baruch Baruch Shemo. You're, Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo, it's whenever you, whenever you say, hear Hashem's name. Like in the brachas in the morning, he says, Baruch Hashem, I would say, Baruch Baruch Shemo, Shalei Goy, Amen. Baruch Hashem, whenever you say Hashem's name, and it's a bracha that you're not, someone's not being motzi you, meaning during Kiddush, because, let's say your husband is, is being motzi your obligation, you don't answer Baruch Baruch Shemo, because that would be a separation. But the standard bracha, Chazar uh, Sashatz, Anytime the Chazan is saying a bracha, when you hear Hashem's name, you say, Baruch Hu, Baruch Shemo. That's, that's the halacha. You're supposed to say, Baruch Baruch Shemo. Now, it's not as obligatory, but it is allowed to be said during Pesukah de Zimra. Um, two more things about Pesukah de Zimra. One is, um, okay, uh, this is more negev for this side of the room, and that is uh, getting an aliyah from the Torah. This happens sometimes where you're running late, and they want to call you up for an aliyah, so they go over to you like, like they usually uh, don't just call you up by name, they just go over like, no. If you're a middle psychodizimer, you should not get an aliyah because that's requiring you to say a lot of brachas. Unless you're the only kayan and only levi in the room. If you're the only kayan and only levi in the room, you are allowed to go up to get an aliyah. If not, it's ideally not preferred. But the other one is very negative, and that is you went to the bathroom. Okay? You go to the bathroom, um, 
by the way, just agav, this is completely agav. If you take off your tefillin to use the bathroom, you have to make another bracha when you put the tefillin back on. People don't realize that. But when you take off your tefillin, you have to make another bracha. But okay, that's the tefillin. But you go to the bathroom during Pesukah de Zimra. Now, during Birchus Kriyashma and Kriyashma, so from after Yishtabach on, you don't say Asher Yatzer. So I'll give you an example. Your middle Shema, you need the bathroom. And by the way, you should just know the obligation to use the bathroom to make sure that your body is pure to talk to Hashem outweighs minion. Meaning, it's brought down a Mishabura. It's better to go to the bathroom and to not have that part of your body filled with uh, things that are not, not pure. It's better to do that than to daven with a minion. So if let's say you're in the middle of Shema, you're like, I really need the bathroom. Don't like say, I'm going to hold it till after Shema. I say, no, go to the bathroom. Now, if you go to the bathroom, the halacha is, from Birchus Kriya Shema onward, you do not say Asher Yatzar. You wait until Shmon Esri is over. So you go to the bathroom, middle Shema, you wash your hands, you don't say Asher Yatzar, continue davening, and then after Shmon Esri, you say Asher Yatzar. That's the halacha. The question is, what about Pesukah de Zimra? You understand? So Birchus Kriya Shema and Kriya Shema, you, you, you do not say Asher Yatzar. Absolutely not allowed. You say it after Shmon Esri, you wait. But let's say you're going to the bathroom in the middle of Asher. Pesukah de Zimra, middle of Halukas, whatever, Bar Shama. So you go to the bathroom, do you say Asher Yatzar now, or do you not say Asher Yatzar now? So there's three opinions. The Chayi Adam says you are not allowed to say Asher Yatzar now. You have to wait until after Shmona Esrei. So if you go to the bathroom during Asher, you do not say Asher Yatzar, you wait until after Shmona Esrei. Now there's a problem with the Chayi Adam, and that is, that could be 25 minutes later. A lot of people forget. Right? You go to the bathroom, and then you're not able to say Asher Yatzah for another 25 minutes. By the time you're done Shmanesra, you've completely forgotten. Okay. I mean, that's not a real problem, the Chayadim. It's not his problem. That's more of a you problem. That it's his problem. But that's the Chayadim's opinion. The Mishabura disagrees. The Mishabura says, if you let people wait until after Shmanesra, they're going to forget. Or they'll need the bathroom a second time. Then you can't, you can't do it anymore. So says the Mishabura, say it, say it in the middle of Pesukah de Zimra. When you're done the bathroom, say Asher Yatzah. So Chayadim says, no. Mishabura says, yes. And then you have the third opinion, which is Rav Avad Yosef. Rav Avad Yosef's opinion is, I have a good solution. And that is, finish Yishtabach. After Yishtabach, before you go to the next paragraph, say Asher Yatzer then. The reason being is, historically, after Yishtabach, when you finish Pesukah de Zimra, they were more lenient for talking or for davening or for learning at that time period. So says Rav Avad don't say it in the middle of Pesukah de Zimra, but don't wait all the way for Shemona Esrei. Finish Yishtabach, then say it. Historically, you should know, the Shulchan Aruch brings down, they used to make appeals for tzedakah after Yishtabach. The chasen, they would finish Yishtabach. This is talking about in Europe, like 500 years ago. They would finish Yishtabach, and then instead of the chasen saying Baruch Hu, they would get up and say, okay, we're raising tzedakah for Hatzalah. And they would start going around, literally raising money. That was what they would do in the times of the Shulchan Aruch. So says Rav Avadia, we're more lenient after Yishtabach, so say Asher Yatzar then. So that's the three opinions regarding uh, Asher Yatzar. Again, that's only Pesukah de Zimra. After Birchas Kriyashma, you're not allowed to at all. You have to wait till Shmona Esri. So I want this leads to the next topic, which is, there's a very big, this all goes down to misconceptions. There's a big misconception that people have. You'll see this all the time. Okay. During the Birchas Kriyashma, as I said, during, from after Yishtabach on, during Birchas Kriyashma and Kriyashma, you're not allowed to talk. Asur, you're not allowed to talk. And you're not even allowed to say Asher Yatzar. You're not allowed to talk, right? I think most people would be shocked if they see people talking in the middle of Shema during Shachris. I think that that would be a little shocking. Myriv, what a lot of people don't realize is when you say Baruchu, you are now in middle of Birchus Kriyashma. So what a lot of times you'll see men, I don't see women in Myriv, I'm not looking in the women's section, maybe this is a problem for them too, but I can tell you it's a problem for the men. Men are schmoozing, they're talking. 
the Chazan says, Baruch Hashem Avayrach, they answer Baruch they continue talking for like 30 more seconds, then they're ready to start. Because in their minds, they're only allowed to not talk, they only have to stop talking when they started davening. That's not true. The second you answer Baruch you are now in middle of Birchas Kriyashma, whether you like it or not. And therefore, says Rav Chaim Kinyeski, if a person answers Baruch and then runs to the bathroom, you're not allowed to say Asher Yatzah, you have to wait. Rav Yosef takes it a step further, you know what he says? In, in my Riv, before Baruch Hu, there's two paragraphs that people say, Vuhu Rachum, and Shira Malos, depending on the Ashkenaz Svart. Let's say Vuhu Rachum, everybody says Vuhu Rachum. Let's say you're running to Shul late, you're running, running into Shul, and then the Chazan, you, you walk in and you hear Baruch Hu, so you answer Baruch Hu. You're already in the middle of Birchus Kriyashma, you can't say Vuhu Rachum anymore. Because Vuhu Rachum is not part of Birchus Kriyashma, so it says Ravad Yosef, you're not allowed to say Vuhu Rachum. Does Chabad say Vuhu Rachum after Baruch Hu? Do they say? No, so okay, so it's good. They say it uh, before Kaddish. Okay. The point is, so uh, Ravad Yosef says, if you answer Baruch Hu, you have to change your mindset. You are now in the middle of Birchus Kriyashma and all the restrictions of talking, Asher Yotzar, Vuhu Rachum, none of it can be said. You have to change the perspective. In a lot of people's minds, davening starts when you choose it to start. That's not true. Davening starts when Baruch Hu is said. That's uh, whether you're ready or not. Um, okay. One more halacha that I thought of that's negay of this. Um, two more halachas, and then we'll talk about two things a little more random. I'm going into the details of davening. Um, it might feel a little bit like technica- technical and, and nitty-gritty. The problem is we daven a lot. And if you don't know what you're doing... It's not great. you got to know these details and you don't often have times to check it up. So I'm going to tell you two halachas that I think are relevant. Um, okay, this happens sometimes on Shabbos. You run to shul late. Okay, you're running to shul late and you're davening. You're, you're slower than the davening. So you're on your own pace. You're in middle of ashrei, yishtabach, shma. I don't care. Not shmoneser. Any other part of davening other than shmoneser. And the minion is up to Kriya Satora. What do you do? Do you continue davening at your own pace, and miss Kriya Satora? Or do you say, listen, I'm going to stop for Kriya Satora, and I'll continue. I'll listen, and then in between aliyahs, I'll continue, or after aliyahs. The halacha is, the place can bring down, that during Birchas Kriyashma, Kriyashma, Psuke de Zimra, the halacha is, you should try to get to a, in between paragraphs, get in between paragraphs, and then listen. So let's say you're up to Ashrei, and they're taking the Sefer Torah out, finish Ashrei, and then listen to the laning. Listen to the whole laning. Because it's important for you to hear the entire laning. Pause. Listen. And then when they're not laning, you continue. But you should stop what you're, you should stop your davening in order to hear Kriya Satora. Hearing Kriya Satora uh, is, is an incredibly important chiyav. And therefore, you wait for Kriya Satora. Listen. Pause. And then when they're done, you continue. And then when they start up, you stop and you listen. And that's the halacha. However, if you're in the middle of Shmon Esrei, you don't stop. You, you keep going. Kriya Satora does not outweigh Shmon Asrei. But if you're in the middle of Ashrei, get to the end of the paragraph and listen. That's the halacha. A lot of people don't realize this, especially if they come late. They're not sure what to do. That's what you're supposed to be doing. One more halacha regarding davening, and then we'll talk about two completely random topics. One more halacha regarding davening is very important, and that is, so I mentioned that Pesukah de Zimra, this Pesukah de Zimra-centric shir, Pesukah de Zimra is from Baruch Shamar Til Yishtabach and everything in between. What a lot of people don't realize is that, think of it as a sandwich. It's one unit, starting with Baruch Shamar, ending with Yeshtabach. It's one unit. What a lot of people do is sometimes they'll go, they'll fa- they're faster than the Chazan. Right? Over here, the, the, the Chazan uh, is, not, uh, is not, so, it's not so slow. It's, it's pretty, pretty fast. But there are some, when I was in Yeshiva, 
Sukkotizim was like 35 minutes long. So I was, I was, it was fast. I remember uh, Rav Wolfson Shlita, just completely parenthetically, Rav Wolfson Shlita is a big tzaddik and a big tamachachim. His shul, I think the davening on Shachris, on Shabbos is like three hours. Just slow, just slow. It's not, not sing, slow, slow, slow. So Rabbi Finkelman told me, Rabbi Finkelman, the mashkiach from, uh, from Arachayim, he told me once that when he started davening there, he was the yeshiva bacher. He could not match the pace. So he would, he davened Pesukah de Zimra in like 15 minutes. And then he opened up a Gemara because he had another 40 minutes because they took about an hour. So he had about 15, 20 minutes. He had about 40 minutes. So you get a tap on his shoulder from Rav Wolfson. Rav Wolfson, he turns. Rav Wolfson hasn't even gotten to Bar Shammar, so he could still talk. Rav Wolfson said, over here, we, we learn how to daven. We don't daven so that we could learn, as we said. So he said, learn how to daven. So slow down, slow down. But anyway, so you have a situation where you're davening slow, you're faster than the chazan. So what a lot of people will do is they'll get up to Yishtabach and then they'll wait. They'll wait before Yishtabach, especially on Shabbos, because on Shabbos, the chazan takes over by Shochenad, right? The chazan starts off, you say Nishmas, and then you say Hakel, the next paragraph, and then the chazan takes over, he says Shochenad, Makalos, and then Yishtabach. So a lot of people, if they're faster than the chazan, they'll get to Shochenad and they'll sit there. That is not the right thing to do. Shochenad is still in middle of that sandwich of Pesukah de Zimra. If you're faster than the chazan, get to and finish Yishtabach, because you have to finish your unit, and then you could wait for the chazan. You cannot wait in between. You, I don't care how fast you are. Finish Yishtabach. And then, so on chazan, on Shabbos, say Shochenad yourself, say Makalos yourself, say Yishtabach yourself, and then wait for the chazan. But to wait after Shochenad, you're waiting in the middle of a, of a unit of Pesukah de Zimra. It's not appropriate. So if, no, no, no. I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable. You can't repeat. I Meaning the chazan. What I'm saying is, let's say, let's say, let's say the chazan went ahead. That's what you saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. I remember this happened to me once. I was in New Hampshire. New Hampshire. I was in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire. We used to go there for the summers. And during the summers, Lakewood goes up there. It's the craziest thing. It's in the middle of nowhere. And then you have about 700 of the most yeshivish from Lakewood guys that go up there. So I'm in this minion with. 30, 40 uh, yeshiva guys, like really yeshiva guys. I'm like the least from guy there. And they're waiting, they're looking for a chazan. And I look around, I'm like, no, I'm not, I, I work throughout the year, I want nothing. I want to not, I want, I want to be in the crowd. So he goes around to everybody and everyone's refusing to be chazan. He goes to me. So I point that I had already finished yeshtabach. So he understood and he said, I'll do till yeshtabach, you'll take over. So, so he got up, he said, Shochenan, Makelos, and Yishtabach, and then I took over from Kaddish. But once you finish Yishtabach, you really can't... So by the way, once you finish Yishtabach, if you're waiting for the Chazan, you're allowed to learn, but you can't speak. So you can't say, like I wouldn't say Tehillim, I wouldn't say uh, Shnai Mikra. You could learn and think in Torah, but don't, don't speak Torah. That's after finishing Yishtabach. I have two more halachas I want to say, and these are completely not related to anything that we've been talking about. One was, I was asked by someone... A lot of these new hospitals have it that when you enter the bathroom, the electric light goes on. And when you stand in front of the toilet, when you walk away, it automatically flushes. It's all electronic. So the question is, can I open up the door on Shabbos? I need the bathroom. Right? You have someone who's a woman's giving birth, right? so she's in the hospital. She needs the bathroom, but you open up the door, the light's going to go on. So that's not allowed. So what, what, uh, what are you allowed to do? Assuming there's no, obviously, regular bathroom to use. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. So the Paiskim, Rebbe Olbaum Shlita, has a tshuva about it. And he basically summarizes, this is his conclusion. His conclusion is 
that if a person needs the bathroom, it's allowed. The assumption is that whatever Isser you're about to do is only rabbinic. We waive rabbinic prohibitions for kavod abrios to be able to use the bathroom. We can't just have a Jew not be able to use the bathroom for 25 hours. That's, that's not appropriate. You could use the bathroom, but to open the door, you should either open the door in an abnormal way. So let's say it's a push door out. Bang it with your shoulder. Or don't like open it regular. Try to do it with a shinoi. Or get a non-Jew to open the door. You're in a hospital. It shouldn't be that difficult to ask a non-Jewish nurse to open the door for you. If you're stuck, that, that's what uh, they're not going to require you to not use the bathroom. I will say this, though. The place can add, let's say you use the bathroom, whatever, and then you get to the sink, and it's one of these automatic sinks like they have where you put the sensor. That is, no, no, no. Get, get water a different way. It's important to wash your hands, but you can't. The heter is for covered abrios for a person to use to relieve themselves. There's no heter to do any iser, even rabbinic prohibition, in order to wash your hands. So get a pitcher of water before Shabbos. Avoid it. Go to door to door. Get some water. I don't care. But you're not going to be able to use the electric eye to get water. That would be a problem. One more halachic shayla, and then I'm happy to take all the questions. There may be a little shorter one. I have other stuff, but uh, this is what I wanted to cover. So this is this is interesting. Um, there's an interesting sheet of the taz. The shayla is, there are certain fruits and vegetables that are very, very, very difficult to clean. Uh, and I, I used to not be like very into checking for bugs. I used to think it was like a from from thing to do. But as you get older and as you start looking into it, you realize there are a lot of bugs out there. There are certain fruits and vegetables that are really infested and it's very, very hard to clean. Like fresh broccoli is very, very, very hard to clean. There are legitimately a lot of bugs. Another one that's very, very difficult are raspberries. Raspberries and blackberries are very, very, very hard to clean to the point where most poison will just tell you better not to eat it. So the question is, strawberry is also hard, but it's doable. It's manageable to clean it. But raspberries and, 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 and uh, raspberries and blackberries are very, very hard to clean. The question is, are you allowed to make a smoothie with raspberries? You can't really clean it, and there might be bugs, but can you make a smoothie? So let me explain why there is very strong room to be lenient, and that is like this. What's the issue with a tiny little bug? It's baby. It's baby, right? We know that it's bottle bashishim, right? And everything, as long as a piece of milk falls in, a drop of milk falls into your chillant, as long as the chillant is 60 times the milk, you could, you could eat it. So how come this tiny little baby bug, by the way, it has to be visible to the na- naked eye. I want to make that clear. If you need a, if you need a microscope, that's not, that's not an isser, but there are little bugs, little, little bugs. They're tiny. So well, what's the problem? The problem is it's called a barrier. A barrier means that because it's a in Isser, that the Torah does not allow, and it's the way Hashem created it, it's a complete unit. It's a complete bug with all its legs and with all its antenna attached. It's not bottle. Even in a million, it's not bottle. Once that bug is pulverized and chopped up, it is bottle. So what's so what's the issue here if I'm making a smoothie? So the issue is not eating the bugs because the bugs are pulverized and they're nullified once they're pulverized. The rule is though, which means you are not allowed to take an iser and specifically put it in with the intention of nullifying it. Meaning, I'll give you an example. A drop of milk, you have 100 pounds of chulant. If a drop of milk falls in, it's fine because it's 60 times. Am I allowed to take a dropper and just drop it in? No, of course not, right? There's a rabbinic prohibition on me. You're not allowed to do that. If it falls in on its own, fine, but you can't do that. So in essence, by me chopping up the vegetable, 
I'm taking the bugs, I'm chopping them up, and I, it's like I'm dropping them in. As Now it's nullified, but your actions caused it to be nullified. The rabbis prohibit it, and they were very strict about it. However, the Taz says, if your intention is not... You see, in the case of the milk, my intention is to add a drop of milk because I want the milk taste. Over here, if your intention is not to chop up the bugs so that the bugs are in it, your intention is to prepare a smoothie because that's how you want the strawberries, the raspberries to be prepared. I want them to be pulverized because that's how a smoothie is prepared. I'm not intention. It's not like I want bugs. I, I wish. It's not like I got together and be like, I wish there was bugs in my smoothie. What's the way to do that permissively? Let me chop it up. That's not what I'm doing. I want the raspberries to be prepared. You can, I don't want to eat it whole. I want to eat it in a smoothie. That's how you prepare it. So because your intention is to pulverize it, not in order to eat the bugs, but in order to prepare the smoothie properly, even though, yes, that will cause the bugs to be nullified. That's not your intention. There's no problem if that's not your intention. Now, could you rely on this? It's brought down. It's the Taz. It's the Shach. It's all the major poison. Now, if you told me that there's a um, those same items, if you can get a Heksher and you can get one that has no bugs... Great, of course, that's, that's even preferred. But if you have a, a fruit or a vegetable that, that cannot be checked properly and you'd like to make it in a smoothie, yeah, yesh l'ami l'smeich. It's not the, I definitely think that there's room to be lenient. I, I definitely think that it's permissible to do this because the whole is, again, you're not eating bugs. That's not the problem because the bugs are pulverized. They're nullified. The problem is you're intentionally doing it, but the answer is I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it for an alternative reason, even though, yes, that is what's happening, but that's not my intention. It would be permissible. So if, one, if someone wants to do it, the yesh l'ami l'smeich, you're talking about the biggest paiskim that ever lived that relied on such a thing. So I definitely think that uh, it's definitely permissible. Uh, stop here. Uh, just to clarify one thing, so when you take off your tzitzis, a talis, it's a matter of time, meaning if you take off your talis to go to the bathroom, you don't make another bracha. If you take off your talis uh, and then you plan on putting it back later on in the day, then you would. How long of a break? So Ravad Yosef says 30 minutes, the Balatani says 3 hours, okay, fine, but it doesn't matter the bathroom or not. Tefillin is different. Tefillin, the halacha is if you take off your tefillin, it depends why you take them off. Meaning, if you're taking off your tefillin because you have a headache and you just want to give your temples five minutes to breathe, you don't make another bracha when you put them on because you're not doing anything that's inappropriate with tefillin. But if you take off your tefillin to use the bathroom, because you're not allowed to enter a bathroom with tefillin on, you're not allowed to use a bathroom while wearing tefillin, it's an automatic hefsek. So if you take off your tefillin even for 10 seconds, to use the bathroom or to pass gas or to enter a bathroom, which are all not allowed with filling on, you would have to make another bracha. How many Both? Both? Yeah. yeah. The, the I'll, I'll clarify also. I mentioned about reheating liquids. So you're not allowed to, re- you're allowed to reheat a solid. Again, inverted pan or not that we talked about. You're not allowed to reheat a liquid. If you take a chicken soup out of the fridge, you can't heat it up on Shabbos. That's a problem because it's considered recooking the liquid. So the question is, what if you have a, a, a chicken that has a little sauce on the bottom? So is that considered a liquid or a solid? So it's basically three opinions. You have the Balatanya who said, no lachluchis klal, it has to be dry, mamish dry, no liquid at all. Then you have the Ravavad Yosef who felt that as long as it's 51% solid, it's fine. It could be 49% liquid. So you could have like a cholent stew. As long as it's 51% solid, it's fine. And then you basically have the third opinion, which is the Mishabura. The Mishabura's basic approach is that if it has a significant amount of liquid, they don't do it. But if it has no liquid, but it's congealed fat, a little congealed fat on the bottom, that the Mishabura is lenient. Um, as long as it's not a significant amount of liquid, what's the definition of significant? Okay, it's a little bit hard to know, but congealed fat is not the issue. The issue 
is a liquid. Correct, but because the Mishabura says right now it's congealed, we treat it as a solid. We don't treat it as what it will be, we treat it as what it is. 